Okay? Glad to be here with you. Glad to see some of you haven't seen in a while. Good to see your faces. Glad you're with us today. We're going to talk about the church at Laodicea, and this is the last of the seven churches that Jesus wrote a letter to. And I want to just begin by reading our text here. It says, And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you were hot or cold, so then because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As I said, this is the final letter that Jesus sent to this church. On his third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul ended up right here in Ephesus. And he spent about three years in Ephesus. And during that three years in Ephesus, there was a guy from Colossae whose name was Philemon and his wife Aphia and his son Archippus, they all came down to Ephesus and met Paul and were taught the gospel and became Christians. And the Bible tells us there was another guy named Epaphras who came with them, or at least he was down here from Colossae, and those four people went back and started the church in Colossae. Now if you've read your Bible much, you've heard of Hierapolis. It's mentioned in Scripture. You've also heard of Laodicea, which we're going to talk about this morning. These three cities were very close together. They were a tri-city area in a valley. And these three cities, we don't know many details about the establishment of the church at Laodicea or the church at Hierapolis, but the best guess is they were started about the same time that Paul was there. Now, there are churches in, in lots of these cities around here and I don't know why Jesus chose to write to the seven that He wrote to. Why didn't He write a letter to Colossae? I wondered that. I thought about that. Or Hierapolis. But He didn't. He wrote to Thessalonica. Oh, no, I said Thessalonica. He wrote to Laodicea. Okay? In these three cities, Hierapolis was kind of a resort area. They had hot springs. And people would come from hundreds and hundreds of miles away to come to Hierapolis to soak in these hot springs because the hot springs had therapeutic value, their therapeutic properties. The city of Colossae was a wealthy residential area. It's where... If you were a wealthy business owner, if you owned a resort in Hierapolis, you would likely live in Colossae. 
You would have your estate and your servants and that area, you would live there in Colossae. And then Laodicea itself was actually, you can see it's right at the crossroads of those highways. It was a major center of commerce. There was lots of businesses and it was a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy town. It was North Dallas. I mean, they had lots of money. And they were very successful in that part of the world. So Paul writes this letter to them. Or not Paul, John. And this letter is actually coming from or spoken by Jesus Christ. And when he begins each one of these letters, he tells a little bit about himself. In this one, he begins with his credentials. What gives him the right to say the things that he's going to say to this church at Laodicea? And so he begins, he says, these things says the Amen. Y'all know what Amen means? You say it at the end of a prayer, right? Amen. So be it. This word actually is used by John in all of his letters and in the Gospel of John, he's used over and over and over again. If you've read in the old King James, it will say, Verily, verily, I say unto you. And Jesus said that over and over. Verily, ver that word verily is this word amen. It's the same word. And what it means is truth. It means it's truth. And it's the final word. What Jesus is going to say is true. This is absolute truth. Now, I know we live in a culture today where the idea that there's something that's true and something that's not true is going away. But I'm going to tell you, when Jesus speaks, it's truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Same word. Jesus is the truth. He is the Amen. He is the final authority, the final word that's given. Then He says to them this, He's the true and faithful witness. What does that mean? Well, it means the witness that He's going to get, give is going to be true. Has anyone ever said something to you? They come to you and they said, you know what you are? You're this. And get on to you. That's happened to me before. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. But you know, when, when they say that, a lot of times I'll bow up and I'll go, oh yeah? I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is right in His judgment. He's a true and He's a faithful witness. And you know what He's going to do is He is going to expose their self-deceit with His true, reliable, accurate testimony of their condition. Just like He's done with all these others. And then it says, He's the Amen, He's the true and faithful witness, and He is the beginning of the creation of God. Now that's a little puzzling because I tend to think Jesus wasn't created, right? In fact, John, the guy who wrote this letter, wrote in 1 John that Jesus was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God in the beginning and He was the Creator and without Him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus, we know from what John said in many other places, was not created. So what does this mean? He's the beginning of the creation of God. That's a puzzling way to say that. Well. In the Greek, just like in the English, words have different meanings. Okay? And this word beginning can mean first in order, but it can also mean source or origin. 
Jesus is the origin or the source of the creation of God. So what we've got in the amen, the true and faithful witness, and the source of creation of God, or the source of the creation of God, is Jesus saying this, I made you, I know you, and I'm going to tell the truth about you. That's what Jesus is saying. Couldn't have any better credentials than that, could you? So, Jesus begins the things that He has to say to this church. He says, I know your works. Does that send a shiver up your spine? Jesus knows your works. Jesus knows everything you do. Jesus knows everything you say. Jesus knows everything you think. Jesus knows your works. In fact, in this very book of Revelation here, He says that in the last days the books are going to be opened and there's going to be a book that has a record of everything you've done. Everything. And it's going to be revealed. And there's not going to be any secrets anymore. All secrets will be gone. Ever have anybody come to you and say, I know what you did. When our kids were little, occasionally I'd call one of them in and I'd say, hey, do you have something you need to tell me? <laughs> and they'd get this look like, okay, what has he found out about? <laughs> and which one of the things that I'm hiding do I need to fess up to right now? Jesus knows. He knows everything. You might say, well, I mean, I've got my flaws and my faults, and I know I'm not perfect, and I know Jesus knows that, but He knows that about me. Surely He loves me, and surely He's going to have good things to say to me. You know what He said to these people? He said, I know your works, and you make me sick. I want to vomit when I think about you. When I look at you and think about what you've done, you make me sick. Have you ever been so nauseous that just the thought of food just, just made you want to throw up? We always tr tease Trevor because if you... little secret here about him. If you, <laughs> if you act like you're going to throw up and you make the sounds, Trevor really starts getting sick. So every once in a while, Jacob especially, will do that to Trevor. You ever felt that way? I mean, really sick and it's just nauseating when you think about something? Jesus said, when I think about you, that's what I think about. That's the way I feel. And I want you to notice, He's not saying this about Lady Gaga. He's not saying this about some anti-Christian infidel. He's saying this about a church. This is a church He's talking to when He says this. People who gather and worship and sing praises to Him and have sermons and do communion. And He says, I know you and you make me sick. Well, that'd be a terrible, terrible thing to happen for Jesus to say, wouldn't it? Why would He say that? He says, here's what I know about you. You're not hot. 
Now he goes and uses this analogy that's going to be really clear to them because Hierapolis had the hot springs, right? And hot springs, they're good for cleansing, they're good for healing. Hot water is used for very valuable, useful purposes. He says, you're not hot like that. You're not useful. He says, you're not cold. You know, cold water's refreshing, isn't it? Colossae was well known for their ice-cold springs. You wanted a good cold drink of water, go to Colossae. It's refreshing. You ever had a day when you were just parched and hot and you get you a good cold glass of water? There's value in that, isn't there? Great value in that. He says, that's not you. You know what you are? You're lukewarm. Laodicea had bad water. Laodicea didn't have any springs in Laodicea. Actually, they had a viaduct that piped their water in over several miles. And by the time it got to the city, it was lukewarm and it had sediment and crud in it. And a lot of times it made people sick. You know, when we traveled to Nigeria, you know the one thing they always tell us right up front is don't drink the water. Why? Because it will make you sick. He'll give you Montezuma's revenge, and you don't want that, okay? He says, you're just like that nasty water. You're like that terrible, lukewarm, just yuck. And it makes me sick. He says, you are lukewarm. You know, cold refreshes, hot purifies. We need both of those in the church. You need someone in the church who has the courage to stand up to you when you're wrong and to purify you. You need that. I'll never forget when I was a young preacher, Jay Henderson, many of you know Jay. He lives out in West Texas. He called me on the phone. He said, Michael, I need you to come out here and visit with me. I said, "Uh uh-oh. Okay. And so I went out there and Jay took me into his office and you know the old if Muhammad won't come to the mountain, the mountain will come to Muhammad. We had that moment. And Jay did some character correction with me. He confronted me about stuff. You know what? I needed that. And I've appreciated him so much since then. I needed correction. There are some people in the church that are good at that. They're just good at talking to you and saying, brother, you're messing up. Sister, straighten your life out. This is going to cost you. And listen, I want you to know if somebody has the courage to come to you and talk to you, you need to appreciate that. Because it's not fun. It's not easy to do. As nervous as I was when Jay called me in, I promise you he was nervous about it too. Because you don't know how people are going to take that. Got some people that are hot. Some people are cold. Some people are just refreshing, aren't they? They just walk in and they got a smile and a song in their heart and they lift up people around them and they encourage people and you just love to be around them and they make you feel like you can conquer the world. The church needs that. We need people like that who will lift us up and just be a breath of fresh air. You know, in this past couple of weeks, it's been a tough couple of weeks for the McCorkle family. Tell you what. And I want you to know there's some of you in this room who have refreshed us. Some of you have lifted us up. You've called. You've texted. You've come and visited. You've provided food, gift cards, love and prayers. 
I want you to know, Jacob told me yesterday we were talking about, about this and some things. He said, you know, when you're sick and people pray for you, you appreciate it. But when you're almost dead and they pray for you, that's different. I want you to know it's different. And I want you to know it has refreshed and lifted us up when you've reached out and you've shown your care and concern for us. But Jesus told these people, you make me sick as you're lukewarm. What's lukewarm then? Lukewarm is useless. It's what it is. It's useless. You're not good for anything. Oh, not that you don't go to church. Not that you don't worship God as in, you know, hear a sermon and sing a song. And not that you don't ever pray before you eat. That's not His point. His point is you're useless. You don't do anything for God. It's unpleasant to think about a Christian who would come and hear sermons and say amen and leave and act like they never heard anything. You know, this whole letter, if you were to sum it up in one sentence, it would be get off the fence and do something for God. This ought to affect you every minute of every day of your life. It cannot be something that you just give lip service to and then go about and do nothing. When Jesus said, you make me want to vomit, that word there means reject with extreme disgust. That's what it means. Get out of my sight. Because extremely disgust. Well, why, why did these people end up like this? I mean, surely they weren't always this way, right? I mean, they became Christians, didn't they? At some point they were convicted by God. At some point they were hot or cold and not lukewarm. What happens? Why are people lukewarm? Well, He told us about these people. He said, you think you're rich, but you're poor. I told you Laodicea was a wealthy town. In around 60 A.D. or so, there was an earthquake that destroyed about 80% of this town, they say. And the Roman Empire, which they were a part of, came and offered money to help rebuild the city. And you know what Laodicea said? We got it. Thanks. I mean, they had plenty of money. They had lots of money. And they rebuilt that city. You want to talk about self-reliance? Pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps? I mean, they could do anything they set their minds to do. They were very wealthy and very successful. They made good decisions and they felt good about the decisions they made. And all this time, they were really bankrupt. They thought they were wealthy, but they were bankrupt spiritually. They were writing checks they couldn't pay spiritually. Jesus said, you think you're wealthy? They're the opposite of Smyrna. Smyrna was very, very poor. And Jesus said, you're poor physically, but you are wealthy. You're rich spiritually. They were the opposite, you see. These people were wealthy physically, but they were poor spiritually. He said, you think you can see, but you're blind. Have you ever tried to talk to someone that wasn't listening? Ever try to talk to someone that you try to explain to them and before you can finish your sentence, they're interrupting you to tell you why you're wrong? They're not hearing a word you're saying? 
Everyone who's a parent has had that experience, right? That's these people. They thought they saw. They thought they understood. They went to church. They heard the sermon. They said, Amen. What are you going to tell me? I know. He said, you think you see, but you're blind. One time, years and years ago, when Jordan was about, I don't know, 18 months old or so, we took a trip and we went to Oregon and Washington and we drove in a, a not a minivan, but a regular van, you know, one of those big old vans. And uh, we stopped at the Snake River Canyon, which is this big canyon. You all may remember Evil Knievel jumped over it or tried to with his motorcycle, okay? And we were standing there looking out and it's, it's a huge cavern and down in the bottom of it's a golf course, Zach. I don't know where his act went, but there's a golf course down there. And I was looking at that and it was beautiful. And I'm holding Jerick, uh, Jer it was Jordan. I was holding Jordan and I was saying, look down there, see the green? And, and we were talking about the river and all. And I looked there and she's just staring. And I looked a little closer. There was a chain link fence between us and that. And she's staring at that chain link fence. <laughs> she wasn't seeing anything past the fence. That's his description of these people. You think you see and you don't. You're blind. He says, you think you've got clothes on, but you're naked. Do you remember the story of the emperor's new clothes? The two uh, scammers showed up and they told the king, they convinced the king that they had magic cloth that stupid people couldn't see. They really didn't have any cloth, but the king was too proud to admit that he didn't see it because he thought that meant he was stupid. And everyone else was the same way in his court. And so they made, pretended to make all this cloth. And then they said, here's your beautiful suit of clothes. And he couldn't see anything, but he didn't want them to think he was stupid. So he said, oh, it's beautiful. And he went out in front of the whole kingdom. And all the normal people laughed at him because he thought he had on clothes and he was really naked. Jesus says, that's you. You think you've got this beautiful... You think you're looking good. And you're really... You're like going to a wedding in a costume. Like you think it's a costume party. You know, Jesus talked about that. Jesus said at His wedding, there was a man in the story Jesus told who came to the wedding and didn't have wedding garment on. And Jesus said, you bind him and cast him out. That's this church. That's these people. So how do people get like that? I believe we can learn a little bit of that about Israel. If you look back in Deuteronomy 8, God has had Israel out in the wilderness for 40 years. They've been wandering around in the wilderness. And you know what they ate every day? You remember, Eddie? It was manna. That's right. You know how they got that manna? They just woke up and it was on the ground. That's right. God gave it to them. Every day, God gave them food. And if God didn't put it there, guess what they ate that day? Nothing. Every day they depended on God for their food. You know, if you depended on God every single day for your food, you'd recognize that that mattered, wouldn't you? You'd depend on God. He made their clothes not wear out for 40 years. Can you imagine that? My wife would make me get new clothes anyway, but fashion would change. But they were fixing to go into this land of plenty, the land of promise. And he says to them this, 
So you shall... How did that happen? Well, while someone's trying to restart that, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what he told them. He says, you need to obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in fear. You know, that's, that's the fundamental place where all of our obedience comes from. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you say you love God and you don't obey Him, you're a liar. You don't love Him. That's just the truth. He said, if you love me, you need to keep my commandments, you need to follow me, you need to serve me. And He says, when you go in this land, I know what's going to happen. You don't need me anymore to give you food because there's lots of food. And you don't need me to make your clothes not wear out because you know what? You just go buy some more clothes. Because you're going to work. There's plenty of jobs and there's a lot of wealth and there's a lot of good available to you. Ah, there we go. Thank you, Yancey. In this land you will lack nothing and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. It was mentioned in the prayer by Kyle. He said thank you to God for letting us live here in America. He said we don't deserve it. I wonder if any of you get on your knees every day and thank God for the blessings you have to live here in America. I hope you do. These people, he said, this is what you ought to do, but you know what? You know what's really going to happen? He says, you're going to forget the Lord your God and not keep His commandments and statutes which I command you this day because you're going to think, I have gotten me this wealth. I did it. I built my empire. I worked and I made good decisions and I wasn't foolish and I was diligent and whoa, look at me. Look how good I've done. And you're going to forget that it's God that gives you the power to get that wealth. It's God that takes that. And He said, when you are successful, that breeds this self-reliance. And that's, that's the enemy of Christianity, this self-reliance. I want to tell you, in my life, I have been a person that always, most of the time, tried to do my best. And I've been fairly successful at the things I've done. And I've been the one that a lot of people came to, came to for counseling. I've done a lot of counseling. People call me when they have situations in their life like we've just gone through. I've done a lot of counseling with people. And when you do things like that, you tend to think that you know you, you got it together. You know, you tend to think that yeah, you know, I've got answers. Come talk to me. I can help you. And I want you to know it can change like that. And when you're standing and I see you beside your child who's almost dead, you got nothing. You got no answers. I didn't walk into that ER with a plan. I didn't walk into that ER with a solution. You know what I did is I walked into that ER with a cry to God for help. Because I knew, I knew I had nothing. The problem is I forget that. And I go about my normal days thinking I got something. 
And that's what God is saying here. These people relied on themselves. They didn't rely on God. You know, the city they lived in, it was famous for wealth. This church was famous for poverty, spiritual poverty. The city had eye salve. They were famous for being blind. The city was famous for their fancy clothes and this church was famous for being naked. What's his answer? What's his solution to these people? He said, I'm going to give you some counsel. You want to be wealthy? You want to see? You want to have clothing? You buy that from me. Now what can you buy from Jesus? Really? Can you buy anything from Jesus? What he's saying here is this. Everything you have comes from Him. And that dependence on Him every day is what makes you hot with passion or cold and refreshing. And if you don't do that, if you don't have that, if you think it's you, then you think you're rich and you think you can see and you think you're clothed, but you're not. You're poor and blind and naked. Because all of this comes from Jesus. All of it comes from God. And I want you to know, these are not just words. This is true. This is reality. And I say, well, this is kind of a harsh letter, isn't it? Wouldn't you call this harsh? I would say, I don't think this would go over so well if letters like this were written to churches today, don't you? I mean, I think a lot of churches would take something like this and tear it up and throw it out and go, how dare they say that to us? It offends us, right? I'll tell you what, especially nowadays, people get offended about everything. Something direct like this is terribly offensive. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So be zealous and repent. Jesus said, I'm telling you this because I love you. I don't want you to die away from me. I don't want you to die lukewarm. I want to rejoice when you're around instead of be disgusted when I think of you. So be zealous and repent. You know what that means? That means you come running to Jesus. Wherever you are, you come running to Jesus. And you don't let any pride, you don't let anything at all get in your way between you and Jesus. Be zealous and repent. Run to Him. Cling to Him. Depend on Him. Then He said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me. The picture of Jesus standing there knocking at the door. I knocked on this. We got a door right here. Whose church is it? Well, it's Jesus' church, right? He's got the right to kick in the door, it's his place. He's not doing that. He's not kicking it in. He's knocking. He draws the picture of this wealthy, successful church who don't need Jesus. And He says, I'm standing there knocking. Just open the door. You see, God's never forced Himself on people. He didn't force Himself on Adam and Eve. He gave them a choice. He offered them life. 
And they chose death and sin. This church of God's people here had come to Jesus at some point. They'd opened their hearts. They'd welcomed Him in. And then they got self-sufficient and okay, I can, I can take it from here, Lord. Thanks. And they sent Him on His way. And He says, I'm knocking. I want to come in. Let's have a feast. He says, I'll come in and I'll feast with you if you'll open the door and let me in. You're not that smart that you don't need Jesus. You're not that capable that you don't need Him. You're not that clever. You need Jesus. And I need Jesus. And it needs to... You need to get off the fence. You need to get in the game. You need to open the doors and let Him come and live with you and be with you. And I'm not saying this because I think you're not. I don't know. I don't know your heart. But Jesus does. And He knows whether you're keeping Him outside or whether you've brought Him in. And if you've got Him in, hold on to Him and keep Him close. And if you've got Him outside, get off the fence and get in there. Get hot or cold. And get serious about your service to Him. Be zealous and repent. So in closing, I ask you, are you more interested in activities than you are in the church? You're more interested in your job than you are in God? More interested in your education than you are in Jesus? Are you more interested in your family or your children than you are being a child of God? Are you more interested in your pets or your pet projects or your pet causes? than you are in God? Are you more interested in your life or are you more interested in putting your life in the hands of Jesus? That's where we are. That's where God's people are. And that's what He calls them to. Be zealous and repent. It needs to be the most important thing in the world to you to put your life in the hands of Jesus. That's more important than saving your physical life. Put your hand in the hand of the one who stilled the waters. Put your life in the hands of Jesus and welcome Him in. If you're not right with Him, please do something to be right with Him today. You can respond to the invitation or if you're watching on live stream, you can reach out to someone who can pray with you and for you or baptize you into Christ. Whatever it is you're lacking that you need to do, but run to Jesus if you're not there today. Please... Let us help you while we stand and sing.